0: Welcome back to From Start to Scale with Alex Newman, where founders, CEOs, sales leaders, investors, and the best of the best share their strategies and tactics, how they scaled their business and broke through the next level. Hear what worked and what didn't so you can avoid critical mistakes and scale your business. Now let's get into it. Welcome to the show. Today's guest is Catherine Minchu, founder and CEO of The Muse. The Muse is a job search and career development platform that helps candidates discover and land jobs that fit their skills. They've raised close to $40 million in funding. They've helped over 70 million people navigate their careers. Catherine has been at the helm of this thing from the very beginning. Even in her free time, she was able to write The New Rules of Work, which is a national bestseller. Thank you so much for coming on to the show. Excited to to chat.
1: Thank you so much for having me. I'm really excited to be here.
0: I'm excited. So here's where I'd love to start is right when the muse was starting to get some traction. You've been doing this for a while now and if you can remember all the way back to those early days, right when you kind of figured out like you had something, you were about to pour some fuel on the fire, like what 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 were those days looking like? How did you know that you had something?
1: Yeah. So I'd say we we hit traction and and sort of product market fit on the consumer side far before we hit it on the employer side. So, you know, when I started The Muse, I wanted to serve two audiences. I had job seekers where we built a resource and a community to help them find jobs and navigate their careers. And then for employers, we wanted to help them tell their story and kind of communicate why their company, their jobs, their company culture and work environment was different than others, why someone should choose them. And so, you know, in the very early days, we were getting all of these letters from individuals talking about how the music changed their life and how powerful we were in their career, but the first employers that we brought onto the platform was like really, really hard. I sold the first, I think 25 companies, kind of combination of cold emailing, reaching out through my network, and it was tiny dollars amount, tiny dollar amounts, but I felt like, well, I have to get something so I can learn from it. I can iterate, et cetera. You know, I think it was probably maybe two years in, even three years. in, if I think about it, that we really started to, to have it take off. And for me, one of the biggest factors was when could other people sell the product, even when we had our very first sales reps, I, I still had to close a lot of the deals, not all of them. The first time somebody closed a deal that wasn't me was a big thing, but there was still about a year long period where I'm trying to remember, but I, I feel like I was involved in half of all deals. And I think that very beginning of the flywheel, partially when we hired our our kind of first sales leader and we started to see other people selling the product consistently, that that was amazing for me because it meant that I did have something that could scale beyond just my time.
0: Yeah. It's, that's a very happy day when you don't have to do everything (laughs) there
1: too, by the way, because sometimes, you know, we, we raised capital last summer to part of acquiring fairy God boss, one of our competitors and a number of other things. And a couple of investors were like, well, so what percentage of sales calls are, you know, you still on, or are you still closing all the whales? And I was like, guys. No, I mean yes. I love talking to customers. I I plug in when I can be helpful, but it's beautiful when you build a great team and and they're out there, you know, telling the story and bringing customers in, and yeah. and I just get kind of tapped every now and then when they need when they need some founder possess.
0: Yeah, what what did your first sales hires look like? I mean, you you're you were obviously very involved in the in the beginning, and then obviously for a little while, and, and bringing on the the leader, and we can get into that, but. What what were the first salespeople like? What were their makeup? How did you know that this is the right kind of people to bring in?
1: You know, so in the very beginning, we were kind of taking a chance on people because the very early version of the Muse had we were just chronically broke. So I was paying myself 40k a year. You know, we didn't have we didn't have the money initially for someone who was tried and true in sales. And so the very first thing we did was hire three people all of whom wanted to get into sales in tech, none of whom had done it before, Uh, but people that we felt like had passion for the business. They had some experience in the sort of skills that sales required. I think one had been a fundraiser at a nonprofit. I'm trying to, I actually don't even remember what the other two were from a background perspective, but they had done something involving like talking to customers and going Mm -hmm. outbound. And you know, that that was an interesting experiment. I would say one very nice person didn't work out at all, one was like the first person that started consistently closing. And then, and then there was one that was a bit like irregular hit or miss. And it was really useful though, because we were learning, I was learning, my co-founder was learning, the reps were learning, like, how do we sell this without me, what might a sales process look like? And that was when I was still involved in probably half of all, of all closes, maybe even a little bit more, but I think. We couldn't have gotten to the next big inflection point, which is when we hired our first head of sales without those learnings, because I'm not sure I would have known exactly what to look for. And I think for me having the, you know, probably six to 12 months of directly managing these three junior sellers, you know, they were learning sales just as much as they were learning how to sell the muse, but there was a lot of like, there was a lot of heart there was this kind of we looked for the personality type of the person that's gonna like run through walls. That's something that I think especially when you're, you know, a a big challenger in your industry, you need people that like love the fight. They want to be the one tapped for the low chance, you know, last ditch mission. They're like itching yeah. for that. And and so that really, really helped. And I think also because we found people who really cared about the mission, they were also just willing to put in the time to learn. And uh, yeah, that was, I mean, that was, that was tough because again, as a founder, I didn't necessarily know how to teach sales. So I was looking for whatever resources I could find to help them level up. And it was a, yeah, it was a, a big weight off my shoulders when we brought in our, our first director of sales.
0: No, it's interesting. Cause I mean, when you hire in essentially threes, which is something that I like to encourage people to do, you get a really good sense of makeup and background, but a lot of the things that you were talking around have nothing to do with sales experience. I mean, passion and curiosity and that fight, like that grit, that drive, that that, those are different types of attributes that you typically hear if, hey, I'm beginning a sales team. These are the people who are going to go do those extra things to kind of figure it all out. So now let's fast forward to the sales leader. Mm -hmm. So you're starting to make some traction. You have these people, you're starting to figure out like the backgrounds. What do you look for in a sales leader? Because all of a sudden that that release of control and in the know of every single thing that is that revenue engine of your company, that's a, that's a tall task to release that.
1: It is. And that was a really stressful hiring process. I mean, we had such a short runway that honestly, I knew if we got that hire wrong, I wasn't sure if we were going to make it and that was terrifying because i had i had protected and nurtured and and grown this startup through so many obstacles and yet you know part of it is we we offered you know when we we went out looking for our first head of sales we knew we were going to have to pay that person far more than we had paid basically anybody else at the company and it still by the way was tiny salary i think I think it was like 150 base and 150 variable which you know for someone that you're expecting to kind of scale a whole team like it was a it was a big pay cut for yep. the person that we hired but that was again I was still paying myself like 40k a year I'm pretty sure that our our like leaders were you know maybe making like I don't know 70. We were really we were really scrappy in the early days, but yeah. I knew that we needed to scale sales, we needed to invest, we needed to get the right person. Um, otherwise we were never gonna make it out of yeah. the seed stage, bootstrapped phase. So you know I think I was looking for somebody with experience leading teams. I knew that at the comp level we were paying and the type of company we were. I th- I think we were maybe 10, 12 people. I I knew we probably weren't gonna get someone who had been like a senior executive, but I was either looking for someone who had been, you know, reasonably more senior in a very early stage company, or someone who had led a team in some sort of like builder, innovator way within a slightly bigger startup. Anyone who was corporate was just a, frankly, a non-starter at that phase because we were so scrappy and so early. And, you know, I interviewed a lot of people, very, very hard role, but I ended up finding someone who had built out a team inside of, I think, living social. And it was this kind of cool story. I remember in the, the very first interview, when I was asking him about his background, he told me this story and you know, I might get some of the details wrong, but what I remember is he was hired and kind of thrown into a situation where his manager was like, I think we need, you know, like a team of like X people doing this figure it out. I love that quote from Hamilton, the musical, by <laughs> the way, when George Washington is like, figure it out, Alexander. I Cause I think that that is just a, a big thing you've got to have in startups. Mm-hmm. There is not a rule book. It's great to, you know, be able to ask people for advice and guidance, but sometimes like you, you just got to figure it out. And so this guy is absolutely fantastic for sales leader for us. And he just had, he had so much heart. He was a coach, a lacrosse team coach in his spare time. And he had this kind of career of experiences where he just jumped into situations and figured it out. And, you know, it's, again, like I think we we did everything we could to test ahead of time. What was his leadership philosophy? And, you know, could he sell this product and all sorts of things. But to some extent, you know, you also just, I think, especially in those early days, you get as comfortable as you can. And then you bet on somebody and frankly, they're betting on you, right? The Muse right. could have, it, it could have been, you know, the wrong place for him to join. But we made him an offer, he accepted, and it was pretty powerful. I think the quarterly sales numbers that we put up in the first maybe six quarters that he was with us were like, I think before he joined, it was like 150K, 220, 315, 556, 770, 1.1, you know, and, and on. And that sort of growth, you know, that's that's why we were able to raise our Series A.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Huh. Build it on the back of sales. You're, you're speaking my language. I love it. Yeah. So, and by
1: the way, like I love that I remember all of those numbers.
0: I do love that.
1: Five years later, because every it. single one was so hard fought. And, and uh, yeah, it was a it was a beautiful time.
0: So now, now that you you're you're starting to really have this team and you're starting to you have some traction, you have a a solid team. Obviously, Alex is, is fantastic, your co-founder. You have all these different things that are really kind of moving the needle for you. What were some of the bets that you made outside of this sales hire, sales leadership hire, that kind of helped really propel your growth? I know that you are big, big into customers, and you know your customers inside and out. In the Muse, you have lots of different kinds of customers. You have different profiles. You have different sizes. You have different talk tracks, kind of the same problems on, on each side, but different different ways that you talk about it. Like. What were the bets that you made to like actually get more customers <laughs> quickly and and faster than you've obviously had been before?
1: Yeah, well, I guess like I mean, I'd love to tell you both some of the bets that worked and some of the bets Please. or the or the either yeah. bets that didn't work or bets we didn't place that I wish we had sooner. So you know, in terms of what worked, I think we I think one of the things we did really well was build a strong brand. You know, every startup has different strengths, and I don't think this is the approach for for everybody. But for us, I was starting the muse at the time when there were very few female founders. It was really hard to raise money, but it was a little bit comparatively easier to get attention in the media. And so I thought, look, if we're going to be selling to big customers, you know, we had Nike as an early customer meta. If we're going to be selling to these big customers, they need to take us seriously. They need to feel like we're real. And right now, you know, even in those early days of growth, we were like, 12 people, 14 people, like we were tiny, but I was able to tell the narrative about what we were trying to do in the market, changing the way people get hired, changing the way businesses tell their story, a really big focus on helping companies find the right fit. It's not just about, you know, building a workforce. It's about getting the right force, the right people that are going to go above and beyond for you and really care about your company's mission and purpose. And that comes from an approach to hiring, Like what the Muse does. And so I spent a lot of time telling our story externally. Uh, There were some people in my life that were like, you know, oh, either you're wasting your time or this is a vanity project. We truly got a tremendous amount of early credibility and early customers from press. And we would use it strategically in our outbound, you know, oh, our Hmm. founder was just on Bloomberg. Look at this article where we were quoted on Fortune. Um, That was really helpful in helping us stand out. And I think something that we did that was very successful. We focused pretty pretty extensively on building the consumer brand as well, which helped because often when we were selling it to someone, they'd be like, oh, I love the muse. And that sort of knowledge and recognition was useful. I think that you know we did do a lot of talking to customers and a lot of trying to understand what they cared about. We brought some of our biggest customers and frankly, some of our most vocal, smaller customers together in a customer advisory council and got them all in one room. We flew people to New York, you know, catered at like a lunch and dinner and really just like talked in a obviously structured way, but about how they were using the product. What other problems did they have in their roles? What weren't we solving for them? We brought in different leaders from our teams to talk to this group of customers. That was fascinating and really helped build stronger customer relationships and inform our product roadmap. So a lot of things like that, that I think really helped us sort of hit the big picture narrative of what we were you know what we were trying to do in the market one bet that we didn't place that or we didn't place early enough is it took us a really long time to figure out b2b marketing and i really really wish i had invested there sooner in fact i think because it wasn't something i was incredibly familiar with it wasn't something that our head of sales was incredibly familiar with we sort of like we just didn't invest there for a while. You know, we had reps outbound prospecting. At some point, we had a couple of SDRs, but it took us, I think, a long time to really figure out and invest in, like, how are other startups in our space using marketing, using collateral, using, frankly, like paid lead gen. We were pretty good at organic, which is fantastic, but I think we, we could have done better and grown faster by, Investing a bit in paid earlier, and also, frankly, it would have just given us great context about what was working in that side of the market. So that's definitely a, I guess, a regret I have. A, a wish I wish, a thing I wish I had done sooner. Sooner. And yeah, maybe I'll stop talking for a second there. But I, I, I'm no, sure I've got
0: a lot more. No, that's it's really, it's re- no. I mean, it, it's really interesting. I mean, it, it's it takes a lot of guts, I think, a lot to to look back and say, "Hey, I wish I would have placed this bet." I mean, to say. I wish I would have invested in B two B marketing a lot sooner. So, th- so if you, if I understand correctly, the the play was you did a combination of press with an outbound prospecting play or outbound sales play kind of meet them in the middle. Press probably generated a little bit of inbound, gave you some validity and some content to then be able to push out outbound, generate some more things that way. Okay. Yeah, I w-
1: but I would say at one point, you know, we had we had a pretty large sales team this is also before we figured out how to really scale our individual sellers i think our, our first approach was just oh let's just hire more and that you know that works to a point but we had i think we added too many reps before we added the support and infrastructure so what i wish we had done once that first team of reps was really working and say okay you know let's let's add a couple of aes but let's really invest in B2B marketing, in you know, making sure that we're really filling pipelines. And I think that was a lesson that I mean, we eventually learned it, but <laughs> it was it was definitely, we were behind the eight ball. And so, you know, when I when I was preparing for this podcast, I was thinking like, gosh, what do I wish that, you know, yeah. someone had told me? What do I wish I could tell my yeah. younger self? And that that's definitely one. And and I'll add another one too, which is, you know, we initially now. The views is nationwide. We can sell to any employer, almost any industry, anywhere in the country. And we have a lot of, we obviously have a lot of like very sexy customers. We also work with a lot of like, you know, big manufacturing clients without household name brands, but that are hiring across the U S but in the early days, it was much easier for us to close clients in big cities, clients that were similar to the clients we already had, which were kind of financial services and tech. And so I also think we under in the work required to clear new hurdles in either new industries or new geographies we were a little bit like great well it's working here you know we can just go sell in right and again i think things like that having more of a targeted approach and or b2b marketing could have could have been really helpful
0: that makes a lot of sense so what were some of the things i mean outside of marketing i mean obviously the new thing today is rev ops and sales enablement and all these fancy buzzwords but like none of this stuff existed at that time or at least the words themselves didn't exist What were the things that you looked at to be, to, to your point around like, Hey, we didn't really help the actual rep scale. Like, how did you know those types of that level of detail? I mean, was it just looking at the end of the the quarter of the year to say you sold this, the quota was X, you know, 25% of the, of the team hit it and the rest of them didn't, but like, how did you figure those things out? Was it tools? Was it like specific like tactics?
1: You know, mostly I think it was spreadsheets, Spreadsheets. Uh, so nothing too, you know, sophisticated on that front, but I will say, you know, in the, in the early days, so in the, in the very early days before I hired our head of sales, you know, again, I was directly managing the sales team. I was in every deal. Once I brought in our head of sales, he was managing the team. And uh, the first kind of, honestly, really like the first two years, we had just, phenomenal growth. It was working. We were adding people. Of course, not everybody works out, but it was like very, I felt like we were, we were kind of doing it everything the way that it was my understanding you were supposed to. When I would hear about benchmarks, we were kind of within them. And I think in the, in the earlier days, I was looking at like every rep, every quarter, trying to see, you know, who was doing what we'd be talking about performance. Oh, so-and-so is a star Well, you know, how can we reward them and thank them and celebrate them? so-and-so struggling. Is it just this quarter? Is it, is it a trend? And then there was a period of time where I, I'm trying to remember exactly what it was, but something was sort of pulled me into a different part of the business and I stopped paying as much attention. And I remember coming back after, I want to say it, it was probably like maybe six months where I wasn't like really looking in the numbers in the same way. And we had we had been hiring a lot, and you know, we we had done very well our first year after raising venture. So we had these another set of really monster goals. It's probably something, frankly, related to do with you know, either the product and engineering side of the house or something else that the company had captured more of my attention. And I remember asking for a per-rep breakdown of how the team was doing and looking at it and just being a little bit horrified because. We had gone from an organization where you had a lot of people that were consistently successful to one in which we had some people who were very, very successful. It's clear that we had some kind of stars that were, you know, just rocking and rolling. But I remember we also had one person who had, you know, sold nine thousand dollars in the previous six months, and I was like, "Pardon my French," but like, what the fuck is? going on here. Right. And that was really, that was really hard. I think we ended up having to do a big reset of metrics, expectations, the team itself, you know, some of what had gone wrong is that again, like we, we hadn't invested in media marketing. We weren't doing a great job of setting all of our reps up for success. And we weren't doing a good job of holding really consistent standards that people either met oh. or, or, you know, knew what the, the consequences were. And so that was really, hard, really hard, a big lesson for me as a leader. It was one of the first, it was one of the first big internal challenges of that sort that I had ever faced. You know, I think as a founder, a lot of your challenges early on are external. That was the first one where, where I had to really take a hard look at, you know, my own management, the access to data and information I had, what we were reporting and looking at and again, the, the top line had been all right. So I think we'd, we'd missed some of the stuff underneath. But yeah, huge, huge lesson and big turning point for us.
0: Yeah, that's interesting. I So I do a lot of these, what I, what I call sales audits or go-to-market audits when I go in and I, from an, an objective third party, will take a look and go, well, you have your blind spots, you have your gaps, but you also like, here's where you double down on, on the things that are working really well. And the takeaways are always fascinating to everybody, which is funny. Is this something that that you did internally? I mean, obviously the signal initially was to say, hey, I have been out of sales for a little while. Let me jump back in and see what's going on. Did you did you get outside help? Did you use your board or your investors? Did you it was it just you, maybe you and your sales leader? Like how did you actually figure out all these these different levers and things as far as where your gaps or maybe your blind spots were?
1: Yeah, you know, we didn't. Use outside help that I can remember, and I I wish we had. One of the things I think has been really positive in the startup world in the last couple of years that wasn't really a thing in the early days of the Muse is the you know the sort of availability of part time execs or advisors that are like in the business. You know, we had a couple of advisors in the early days of the Muse, but mostly they were like really smart, thoughtful people that were like, yeah, yeah, Catherine, if you know if you need help, give me a call. But the problem with someone who is only talking to you is they can only diagnose the problems that you are aware of. They only have the data that you have in your world or your field of vision. And so something that now I think a lot of startups have access to sounds like it's something that's like what you do, but that wasn't really on my radar back at that point is bringing in a third party who, first of all, knows what questions to ask. I didn't even know what all of the questions were to ask up front. And can kind of standardize and benchmark data and look at things. And, and, you know, so for us, it was really me and my co-founder and my head of sales. And I think we told our investors, but I don't really remember them offering help or, you know, maybe we, I, I don't, I don't really remember. But I look back and, you know, I think we could have probably gotten to a better answer faster if we had plugged in a little bit more expertise and again part of it is none of us on the kind of group that were assessing our current kind of sales you know things that were working really well of which there were many but also challenges none of us had been in that specific situation before or looked at a sales team that was doing that specific and we were growing really fast which is which is great for a company but also means that you can sometimes a lot of like small problems don't get surfaced or noticed because you're just growing so fast that that's what the focus is and we had to kind of really take a little bit of time and 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 try and do a diagnosis but i wouldn't say we've really i think part of it was we actually ended up having to bring in a more seasoned sales leader full time to help us get through that process and i actually i've i've wondered if we had had access to someone who was able to plug in deeply enough that they, you know, that they could see inside our business and help could, could that have actually been an alternative or a better path? And, you know, you never know.
0: Yeah. No, that's interesting. When you, when you look back on that, it it's one of those things that's very interesting as far as like, okay, you're still trying to like have this like accelerated growth you're continuing to hire people in in all facets of the business you as the founder and the CEO are pulled in every direction including including the the you know the fund fundraising side of things and on top of that now you're saying okay leadership's kind of take a level up all individual contributors need to take a level up what, can can you point to like a an example or a scenario where you said hey this was the thing we, we were able to fix it while still growing at the same time. Cause a lot of times people think, oh, I need to stop. I need to fix it. Mm. And then I need to start again, or you know what? Let's just kind of like pretend that it's not happening and hope it goes away, which I, I don't ever recommend, but it happens all the time. Like how, how are you able to have the consistent, like continual growth that you had, but also fix those issues you found?
1: Yeah. You know, I think some of it was really trying to be clear about responsibilities. Whose job is it to assess the problem, propose solutions, gather data, and make the decision? If those people or that person, depending on whether it's one or several, if, if those responsibilities live separately from the people that are actually doing the sales and doing the work, then sometimes you can kind of get away with like what, what you might see in like a, you know, a racetrack where Typically speaking, like you are going to have to pull the car over the side, but you can do a quick change. There's other times where that's just not possible. And there were times where we had to do something that we knew was the right thing. And we knew it might cost us, you know, a month of productivity or a quarter of, again, peak productivity. And those are some of the hardest decisions too, as a founder, because part of you just wants to like not do it or wait and hope that the problem fixes itself. turns out it usually doesn't. And, and so, you know, yeah, it, it really rarely does. And so I do think that the more you can really communicate and in some cases over communicate with your team about why changes are being made or, you know, why the way that things are working is no longer the right thing for the future that, that insight into the why, you know, and, and not just the how, but the full context, I think that does really help because, you know, humans. They like to, they like to understand the context. I get it. Like I, I do my best work when I understand why things are being done too. So we've just tried to be really, really high communication, high transparency, whenever possible about what's going on.
0: Makes a lot of sense. When you think about moving past that, so you brought in a little bit more senior level leadership, fixed a couple of things. Like what led to the next growth? Like what were maybe point to like one thing that helped lead Kind of scale revenue to the next stage, and maybe one thing that if you could take take a take a minute and say, "Hey, maybe (laughs) that was a mistake, or I'd do it differently," I would to be able to, because 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 that next step was was a pretty massive step for you.
1: Yeah, yeah, it was. So you know, this is a maybe tangential to the to (laughs) the core thrust of this podcast, but actually, product is one of the biggest answers to both. You know, because. I had started The Muse and was more focused on the customer side of things. And initially in the early days, my co-founder was a bit more focused on the product side. It took us longer to realize that when we started at one point to see sales slowing, it was actually not a sales thing. It was product And, and specifically, partially, it was that the market had changed for our product. So when I founded The Muse, we were one of the first things that ever looked like what we were. And so this idea of these visual company profiles, employee testimonials, you know, videos and photos about an office, like just getting that was so exciting for a lot of companies. And they, you know, the early adopters intuitively understand why to buy, and they would use it in a lot of different ways in their own process, so they got a lot of value but as we grew up as a business as we sold into fewer you know early adopters and more of the kind of general middle of the market and as we started to see some people copy our model and compete with us using a very similar product we also you know had to answer more questions about how we were different which i think it took us a little bit a little bit longer than it should have to like fully lock in on answers but also we started to be held responsible for the hires that were getting made And this is, by the way, now when I pitch the Muse, it's all about helping companies make great hires who are retained, who are much more likely to be diverse. Like I talk about the bottom of the funnel, the hires, but that was a a pivot. And I think that, you know, because we were so comfortable selling employer branding, selling top of funnel, and that worked so well for us, it took a little bit of time to realize wait a second the market is resonating with different messaging than it was six or 12 months ago. And we need to both adapt what we're saying, but we also need to make sure that our product reflects the way that buyers want to to see results. I believed early on that, you know, that there was this big focus among a lot of our buyers, like number of applications, number of applications. And I was like, look, A hire is about getting the right person, that should be fewer better applicants, but it turns out it's really hard to change a market. You can, but it requires years often, and you have to really be thoughtful about the incentives for the buyer, because if your buyer is personally compensated based on how many clicks they get or how many applications, whether or not those applications are quality, it's gonna be really hard for them to move away from that behavior, even to something that better serves the company's overall goals. So we had to really invest in data that proved the quality of our applicant we had to increase the number we had to do all of these things on the product side it was a real partnership between sales and product that allowed us to sort of navigate this change and that really unlocked the next you know the next big level of growth and i think we you know we we wouldn't have we wouldn't be in the position we are today if we hadn't recognized and adapted not as quick as i wish we had in a perfect world but also like pretty right. pretty fast once we once we saw the tea leaves
0: now it's interesting because I don't think enough founders and enough, and even sales leaders think back to the product. It's easy to blame product, but product is a sales engine. I mean, obviously there's product led growth these days, which was not really a thing back in the day, but it, it, or at least in the terms, but I think so much of it needs to be around sales and marketing and product, everybody having to work together because. And, and from, from what I see in a lot of the the audits and things that I do is it's not always a marketing thing. It's not always a sales thing. It's not always like a, Hey, it's a people thing. It could be a product thing and we have to be okay with that as being the answer and having to fix that. You can't just sell it and figure it out. Like sometimes, yes, you figure it out, but also product needs to be involved. Catherine, this is awesome. We need to have you on again. You are a wealth of information. I'm so excited to see the rest of the Muse story. I wanna leave the audience with a few things. What is a favorite book or a favorite resource that you recommend people take out, check out for their their journey?
1: Mm. I really liked this book called Traction. It's like a little bit of a older school book on just like how to actually run and operate a business. If you are a first time founder, as I was, highly recommended, I think it's by Gino Wickman you know, The Hard Thing About Hard Things, Ben Horowitz, really, really good one. And I know you said one, I'm gonna do three. There's a book called High Growth Handbook, Elad Gill. I found that really helpful. I read it, I wish I'd read it sooner. I read it after we had already gone through two years of high growth and made a bunch, I mean, we got some things right, but we also made a lot of first time mistakes. And there's, you know, it, it is very Silicon Valley. And I think you gotta read anything out of Silicon Valley with the lens that like sometimes Silicon Valley can be a bubble that speaks to itself. And there's a lot of really great insight in the Valley and and in that book. And yeah, I definitely, definitely recommend that, particularly for founders that are going from like, you know, 20 people up to 50, 80 plus, like those are hard, those are hard to navigate. Um, And there's not actually, I think, a ton of great books and writing about what it looks like in, you know, 2023. Versus maybe some of these books that are just architected for a, a totally yeah. different, more analog world. Yeah,
0: those are those are three great ones. How how does the audience get more of you?
1: Mm. So I would say I'm I'm pretty active on LinkedIn, Twitter, and Instagram. LinkedIn just Catherine Minshew. Twitter is at Cayman. K-M-I-N, although Twitter seems to be a slowly decaying cesspool every day, but I am still there occasionally. So please tweet at me. (laughs) I will respond. And then yeah, Instagram at k Minshew. That one's a little bit more kind of sometimes work, sometimes personal, but yeah, yeah, I really enjoy hearing from people and uh, I've been extra busy, you know, the last year or two with the acquisition we did and raising more capital, but I do love like talking to other entrepreneurs and, and trying to be more involved in the ecosystem. So hoping I get to do of that in in my future
0: i love it any any last remaining words of wisdom that you can you can share
1: Mm, last words of wisdom yeah i mean i think like i think you you've got to simultaneously as a an early stage builder you've got to hold yourself to a really high standard and also accept that you're going to make a lot of mistakes the more i think you can be curious ask for help get people from the outside to come in and and you know, also, I think there's a big difference between problems that haven't been solved before. Like as a founder, you're often trying to create something that's never existed. You have a, you know, sort of divergent way of thinking about an industry or a problem that's really unique. That's so powerful. And, and you do not need to apply that out of the box thinking to everything you've ever done. In fact, like there can be just really good classic ways to set up a team or compensate sellers or, you know, and I think this has not been a problem in the last couple of years, but I look back early on and there are just some things where we like, made up our own system. And now I just laugh and I Not just read, like, talk to somebody smart. Yeah. Figure yeah. out like how the best, you know, if you want to tweak it later on, sure. But like, sure. you don't need to reinvent every wheel at the same time. It's it's too much noise and it actually makes it harder to see the feedback on your real problem, which okay. is, you know, what your business is set up to do.
0: I love it. Thank you so much for joining us. We We're going to do part two of this. This is going to be a lot of fun. I'm excited Absolutely. for uh, for the next uh, next stages of of the muse, and we'll we'll have to have you on again. Thanks so much.
1: I love it. Thank you too. Take care. So, yeah. Talk to you later.
0: Bye. That's it for this week's episode of From Start to Scale. Be sure to click that subscribe button and follow us so you don't miss our next episode. I'm Alex Newman. See you next time.